Amen? And whether you can sing or not doesn't mean that we can't praise God. I don't know if you know this or not, but as I'm learning some of the older hymns, um, I don't really know how a lot of them go, but I still sing. And the difference is I mic'd and you're not. <laughs> so I'm so usually by the end of the song I, I kind of get it. Um, um, but you know, even the, 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 that's why we do a blended worship in here with some newer ones and some older ones because there's power in those words. So even if you just even if you say the words. And not worry about how you're singing it. It's, it's, if you saw Joanne, she was excited to be up here. And she was just, the joy was coming out of here. So as we just spend time in the Word and praising God, that's, that's, that's that we're cultivating the Spirit of God. Well, I want to talk to you today about making the turn. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8 says, There's a time of war and a time of peace. A day doesn't go by nowadays without hearing something about war or rumors of war. However, there's a type of war that does not involve guns or bombs or missiles. Psalm 18.34 tells us, He teaches my hands to war. See, God expects us to go to war on a daily basis. But He's talking about prayer warfare. We war with the enemy of our souls who is constantly trying to take us out through lies and deception and temptation. And the only way that we can truly gain peace is by entering the realm of spiritual warfare, which is prayer. The enemy knows that he knows the power of prayer, and which is why he tries so hard to keep us from praying. In fact, what the enemy does, he tries to deceive us, and he tries to tell you when you are in a battle, the only weapon you have is in your back pocket and it's a little plastic knife. And so if you know you're going into the battle with the enemy and all you have is a plastic knife, you're not even going to pull it out because you think it's futile. It's, you waste your time. Yet the truth of the matter is we don't have a plastic knife. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if we could just understand that and we'd understand the power of prayer, then we would go to prayer when fear is striking the world right now. I understand there's precautions and wisdoms with the coronavirus, but there is great fear that's overcoming our entire country right now because the body of Christ is not stepping up and going to prayer. And so we are called for such a time of this to still have wisdom and discernment, but also not to not succumb to fear and to pull out our sword of the Spirit and pray to God. Believing that God is going to protect us and God's going to guide us and God's going to do what He needs to do as we come together as the body of Christ. The moment that we call on the name of God in prayer, the enemy takes notice. He might not back down right away, but he takes notice. And if he can get you to stop in prayer, then he thinks he's won. But if you can persist and move on through prayer, then the enemy is shaken. And he kind of loses his grasp a little bit. It's important to see that we don't just engage in spiritual warfare until we're tired. We don't just get our ten minutes in and say, I'm done. Just because the song ends doesn't mean we stop praising God. Just because the church service is over doesn't mean we stop seeking the Lord. Likewise, just because we're tired doesn't mean we stop praying and stop seeking God's face. Weariness means that we're at the end of ourselves. This is when God kicks in. But He will only fight for us if we continue to persist through prayer and push us through our pain. 
On Thursday during our, our Lenten soup and study, we talked about Israel, about when the first time the word Israel was used in the Bible. If you recall, it's when God uh, sent a, a messenger of God to, to, to Jacob, and Jacob wrestled with this man of God all night long. And, 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 the, and the messenger said, well, just, just let me go. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let go until I get my blessing. And so the, so the messenger said, you shall now be called Israel because you contended with God and you overcame. In other words, it's a picture of us when we go to God in prayer, we are to persist and hold on until we get the blessing. What's the blessing? It means God might not always give us what we want, but He will give us peace in the situation to know that He is in control, to know that He's going to pull us through. We are called to, and when we pray, and it's not easy at all because we're at the end of ourselves and we can't do it, but to just persist and hold on to God. We need to want the victory bad enough to be desperate for it and believe that nothing else will do. There's no greater spiritual warfare than praising the Lord in the midst of trouble and painful times. When we can turn our pain into passion to seek God through prayer, we unleash a spiritual power that can knock out anything that the enemy throws at us. But something else happens when we praise God through our pain. It's something that we can only begin to understand in the natural. You understand there's two realms. There's the natural realm that we see, and there's a spiritual realm that's mighty and powerful that we cannot see with the naked eye. Because of ways that created by God, when we praise Him in the midst of our circumstances, a spiritual law kicks into effect and brings victory over the enemy. I want to talk about that maybe a different way than you've heard. There is a purpose for pain. It seems that so many of the seasons we pass through in life are centered on pain, either physical or emotional or spiritual. Have you ever wondered why there's pain in our lives? If you're like others, you probably ask yourself the following questions. If God is really a God of love and of good things, why is there so much tragedy in the world today? Or, if God is really all-powerful, why does He allow the devil to wreak havoc on our lives? We ask why and we try to make sense of a world that really doesn't make any sense from our human perspective. But in order to understand it, we need to understand some things about God and about His character. God is not only the creator of the stars and the heavens and the world and everything in it, he has also created all the laws that govern how things work and how they continue to function. There are many laws that govern how things work and how they move and react to other objects, such as the laws of motion. Does anybody know who postulated the theories about the laws of motion? Newton, good job. Isaac Newton postulated these, uh, these ideas about how things move, the laws of motion. Yet we must understand that this is God's universe. Newton may have given a name to these laws, but God is the one that designed the universe with these laws already in place. And these laws are more than just physics, because God's design is perfect. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. It'll all come together in a minute. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, He is the rock. God is the rock. His work is perfect. It's lacking nothing. For all His ways are justice. He is a God of truth and without injustice. Even when we don't understand it, God is just. 
He is righteous and upright is He. Because God is a just God, everything He does is on a legal basis. Theologian and author Mark Brazy puts it this way, God is not only holy, He is also just. When Satan's lease runs out, he's not going to be able to turn to God and say, I was unjust, but you were too. He's not going to be able to say, I cheated, but you did too. No. Everything God does, He does legally. Therefore, I want to look at some laws that you may be familiar with and show us how they apply to us with the belief that if we understand these laws, that we can get the most out of our situations situations, and receive all that God has for us. So, back to science class. Hope it wasn't too painful for most of you. But Newton's first law of motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, and an object in motion tends to stay in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless it's acted upon by an unbalanced force. Does that sound remotely familiar to any of you? <laughs> okay. Listen. According to Newton, an object in space will only accelerate if there's an unbalanced force on one side pushing it. Okay? An unbalanced force that's strong at one side or the other to cause it to accelerate. That unbalanced force will cause it to change its speed or its direction or both. You see, in order for God to push us or to move us to the next level, there has to be some force behind us to get us going. In other words, a spiritual kick in the pants sometimes. All right? There are basically two, two ways how this can happen. One way is to generate the power ourselves by combining our passion with God's promises. If we have passion, it's like a motorcycle that revs up a gasoline-powered engine and accelerates down the track. Well, the second way to generate power is to have a force coming from another direction and another source that causes us to build momentum. You see, without the power of the motor, there's only one other way that a motorcycle can gain momentum. Does anybody know how that is? If it goes downhill first, right? If it goes downhill, do you remember Evil Knievel? Remember, he used to go down and, 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 and jump. If a motorcycle goes downhill first, it builds up the momentum it needs to, to make the turn and go up the next hill. Sometimes God, out of His infinite wisdom and incredible love for us, allows an unbalanced force to push us downhill, not to break us, but to cause us to build momentum. If we don't have the passion to pursue God, we can still reach the next level if we trust God in the processes that He allows in our lives. Coming back to that first law of motion, if we've been at rest for a while or just content at the speed with which we've been traveling, God will sometimes allow an unbalanced force to come into our lives to help us to accelerate, changing either our direction or our speed. Now that first dip down the hill usually causes frustration or anger or confusion or sadness. And that's what the enemy wants us to think, that we're going down and we're going to crash. And so he, he piles it on. He piles in all the worries and all the fears, hoping that as we start to go down, Instead of building momentum, he tries to tell us that we're going to crash. He tries to prey on our emotions. Yet, Joseph, if you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, he teaches us a powerful truth about that downhill dip. If you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph had many brothers and his brothers were all jealous of Joseph. So they took him and they threw him in a pit. Remember that story? And then they sold him 
to a bunch of thieves. Then he, he, was, he was brought into uh, the home of Pharaoh. He eventually was put in prison. It seemed totally unfair to Joseph. And the enemy thought he had crushed Joseph. And yet God used him at one point where Joseph began to interpret the dreams. And, and so he was put second in charge. Well, during this time, there was a great famine all over the whole land, and Joseph's brothers came back to him, and they had to beg him for food, the person they threw in the, in the pit. In fact, the Bible tells us at this point, Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, Joseph says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Meaning this, that sometimes the things that happen to our lives, the enemy thinks he has us crushed and he has us down and he's taken it all our hope, but God says, I can use that for good if you trust me during the process. There are a lot of things in life that happen that are unfair, but if we trust God, we build up the momentum to go forward. God wants us to be honest with ourselves and Him, and admit when things are not going well or when we are struggling. Many times as Christians, we are our own worst enemy. Having strong emotions does not mean that we're in sin. God gave us emotions to let us know if our needs have been met or not. What we need to do is to turn our emotions into passion to seek God instead of staying in denial. Somehow we think that admitting that we are struggling is ungodly or that it makes us weak, yet quite the opposite is true. Denial prevents the descent, which keeps us from building the momentum needed to go to the next level. So I want to talk about a time in the Bible where this is true. This is not just Newton's, but in the, in the, in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, something amazing happens where you see these laws come into play. In Acts chapter 16, let me summarize this for you. Paul and Silas were beginning missionaries in the Christian church. They were spreading the gospel across Asia. They went from city to city telling about Jesus when they came upon a woman who was possessed by a demon in the town of Philippi. This girl was a slave who was bringing her masters a great deal of money because of this demon that was in here. She was telling fortunes of the people. And so they were taking advantage of her and making a lot of money off of her. Well, at the time when Paul came there, this demon was speaking against Paul because he was talking about Jesus. And Paul was greatly annoyed about that demon. So in the name of Jesus, Paul commanded the Spirit to come out of the girl. And she was instantly healed. That should have been a good thing. However, the masters of the girl were upset because they lost their chance to make money. So now they turned on Paul and Silas. They told the authorities that Paul and Silas were troubling the city and teaching unlawful things to the people. And so we pick up the story in Acts 16, verse 22. It says, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. That's quite a downhill dip. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. Now after seeing the punishment that they received, it's natural to ask, well, were they in sin? If something bad happened to them? Because sometimes that's the response to the world. If something bad happens to somebody, the mind thinks, well, it must be because they deserved it. Or there must be some sin in their life. Yet that was not the case. They were preaching about the risen Savior, Jesus. They they cast out a demon from this young woman. And as soon as they did that, they were thrown into prison and beaten, causing this downhill descent. 
where God's causing an unbalanced force to cause them to go downhill. Well, Newton's second law of motion says this. The acceleration of an object, or how fast it picks up speed, depends directly upon the unbalanced force acting upon the object. In this definition, the acceleration, once we go downhill, that acceleration is our pursuit of God. If we go down and crash, then the enemy thinks he's won. But if we go down and say, God, I, I trust you right now. I'm crying out to you right now. The world's coming at me in fear, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe that you have our answer. I'm going to believe when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against it. That acceleration is our pursuit of God. Once we understand this law, the greater that we are pushed downward, the greater we will pursue God. And the greater our momentum will be toward Him in all His promises. After all, Paul tells us in Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. With an understanding of this law, we know that God can use even the bad things to bring about good if we trust Him. With an un- we must continue to trust Him. Another part of the second law states that the acceleration of an object depends inversely upon the mass of the object. In simpler terms, it means that the mass of the object is our flesh. So if we are feeding our flesh a whole lot more and stepping into doubt and fear, then we're going to slow down that acceleration. But if we come to the end of ourselves and say, God, I know I messed up, that's why I need You. I'm not going to rely on my own logic or trying to figure it out, I'm just going to trust God. If we, when we do that, we decrease the mass of our object so the Spirit can push us to build more, more momentum. When we are operating in the flesh, we have a need to be noticed for who we are instead of who Christ is through us. Another sign that the flesh has overtaken the Spirit is when we have a need to receive pity from others for our pain instead of turning our pain into passion and seeking God with all of our hearts. The only way that we can accelerate upward is by decreasing our flesh, by dying to ourselves, so that our spirit can rise up and then now push us up the next hill. As we revisit Paul and Silas, we see that they have been dragged into the marketplace and beaten because of false accusations against them. Their clothes were ripped off of them. And they're ripped off their backs. And according to Roman custom, the authorities would have attached their bodies to metal frames using cords to tie their hands and their feet before beating them with metal rods. A A Roman whipping usually consisted of 39 lashes or 39 whips, making this incredibly painful and agonizing. But if that wasn't enough, Then they were thrust into the inner prison, binding their feet in shackles. There they sat in the dark, inner prison with cuts and bruises over their bodies, while dirt and sweat seeped into their every incision. They certainly had every right to complain. It was completely unfair. But did they? Absolutely not. Their flesh decreased so that the Spirit could cause them to rise up and begin to gain momentum to go to the next level. In fact, look at Acts 16.25, their first response. It says, At midnight, Paul and Silas were singing. 
They weren't complaining or licking their sores. They were singing, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I will tell you that any time you go through a difficult thing in life, there are other people watching you. Now, we don't do it for them. We do it for God. But there are people that want to see if our faith is real. It's easy to talk about God and talk about great things when we're doing great things in life. But as soon as something hits the fan, as soon as we go downhill, as soon as unfair things happening, that's when people watch us. That's when our witness is the strongest. What are you going to do? You've been saying God is great, God is great, but what happens when things are not so great? People were listening to Paul and Silas. And they began to pray and to seek God and to pray and praise Him and sing hymns to Him. The difference between going downhill and crashing versus making the turn to go up the next hill is to take the focus off of ourselves and our pain and turn it into passion to seek God with all of our hearts. Paul and Silas were not just, Paul and Silas were not just crying out to God to save them, nor were they whimpering with their last breath. They used all that pain to seek God and to praise God and to trust Him and to call out to God. They not only pushed beyond their pain, but pure exhaustion no longer had any effect on them because the Spirit was starting to lift them up. That's what God does to us when we trust Him and cry out to Him in our pain. Acts 16.26 says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. That means that even people who were complaining about their sickness, their chains were loosed. Even people who didn't know God, their chains were loosed. Even people who were crying and complaining and upset, their chains were loosed and everyone was freed because two men sought to seek God with their pain. Well, the third law of motion is this. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. You see, according to this law in the spiritual sense, the higher we rise in God's strength and power, the lower the enemy falls and the less power he has over us to influence us. There may still may be difficult things that happen, but the enemy doesn't pull us down. He doesn't, we don't give up our hope. The higher we rise and trust God, the less influence he has over us. Paul and Silas operated in the knowledge of this law as they turned their pain into passion to seek God. And all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Well, the jailer became scared when this happened because he was responsible for securing the prisoners. And if if even one prisoner escaped, he would be executed. So he comes there and he realizes that all the chains are gone and all the doors are open. And he's about ready to take his life before Paul comes and, and, and says, Stop. You don't need to do this. He tells them that no one even escaped. Even though the chains have been gone, Paul says no one has escaped. To the jailer, this was an even greater miracle. And so he brings Paul and Silas to his home and Paul and Silas begin to tell him about the wonderful news of Jesus. And the jailer receives the Lord and his whole family is baptized and, 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 and is saved. So building on this momentum, Paul and Silas share this with the jailer. And then in Acts 16.35, It says, when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore, depart. Go in peace. Get out of here. 
You cause a lot of stuff. Just, just leave. It's what we're waiting for, right? No. You see, Paul and Silas were aware of this third law, that as we rise in God's strength, the enemy falls deeper and deeper. We need to realize, as Paul and Silas did, that when we call out to God and stand on His Word, we can actually claim something back from the enemy. What we claim back is our peace. Remember, when we first went down the hill, one of the first things to go is our peace, and we lose our peace. When we lose our peace, fear plays a bigger picture in our lives and confusion and doubt. So when we get that, we press into God, one of the first things God does is He gives us peace that the enemy stole from us. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what trial you've been through, God says, if you trust me, I'm going to give you that peace so that you can continue to trust me and I will lead you through no matter wherever life takes you. Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they try to put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and let us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. You see, the same people who tried to destroy Paul and Silas were now coming to them and groveling and begging them to leave in peace. They not only gained their freedom, but they left with their respect as well. What the enemy had intended for evil, God turned around for good and for His glory. This can only happen when we realize how much God desires for us to seek Him regardless of our circumstances. When we enter the realm of spiritual warfare, standing on God's promises, we will come into a season of peace like we have never known. Now, a peace that the God's talking about is not the worldly peace. We know there's going to continue to be chaos. But the peace I'm talking about is right here in our hearts where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives in a sanctuary of peace when we trust God so that we can go through difficult times and difficult seasons. And there will be things and more things that happen, but if we are grounded and founded on the Word of God, we will have that peace. And that is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Paul and Silas were just two people who entered into the spiritual warfare by faith and the whole jail was freed from bondage. All the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Can you imagine what would happen if the body of Christ cried out to God together? If the body of Christ came together church by church and home by home and we, and we knew stuff was going on was rough, but we all cried out to God together? If two men could cause all these chains to be loose in the jail, what could the body of Christ do if we just sought God passionately in prayer? If we just pursued God passionately in prayer. Why has God left us here right now? Because He still has a plan for us right now. God is calling His people to seek Him and to passionately pursue Him. In spite of the conditions outside, in spite of the circumstances, to continue to press into Him. When we go to prayer, God goes to work for us. We need to know this spiritual law to receive a breakthrough, which as we know, is secured in the heavenly realm first. If we hold on to this promise, we will see breakthroughs that manifest in our lives. Peace is what preserves our heart until faith delivers us to the promise. There truly is a time for war and there truly is a time for peace. 
God makes our hands to war so that we are seeking Him and praying to Him. And peace comes when we pursue the Lord with all of our heart. If we do not give up when our flesh grows tired, we will enter into God's presence where there is a fullness of joy. I'm going to share a song with you as our song of reflection as we're seeking God about the promises that we have from God. And whether you sing or, or, or listen or seek God on your own, and I don't know what's going on in your life. I know we've been through a lot in, in our life as well. A lot of things have caused to push us downhill, and our choices are just to complain about it or be upset about it or say how unfair it is and crash. Or we can choose to chase, pursue God and allow that momentum to build us up to the next level. Because I believe God called us together as a church for such a time as this. To seek God, to get His power. This song is called Your Great Name.